2 Timothy chapter 2. This is one of those passages of scripture that a lot of people would just kind of read through it and just be sort of numb to what it's saying because maybe we just don't get it. What's, what's the point? None of us would probably say it out loud, but why is this passage here? I don't get it. Therefore, we think in our minds, well, why should this be important to me? If I don't get it, why should it be important? Well, because every word of God is pure. Every word of God is important. And therefore, we need to have listening ears. We need to be just like when a, you know, when a Doberman hears something. Now, their ears are already up usually, but when a Doberman hears something, they're on full alert. They're on full alert. We as Christians, when the Bible is open, we ought to be on full alert. God has something to say to us. And I've entitled this today, Thirsty for Encouragement. You know, it's easy to get dehydrated and not even know it. I think all of us have been there. When we finally realize our need and we take in drink, it is amazing the difference it can make and how quickly we feel revived and refreshed from that. Now, this applies as well when it comes to the issue of encouragement. We are living in a day when there's very little encouragement. Most of it is just attacking one another, tearing people down. People who disagree with someone, they have to attack them and they have to kick them and they have to, you know, verbally attack their character. And it's, it's, it's almost like this is the way society has devolved to the point that we're today where we can't talk to one another and we're so divided. How opposite the way of God. If you're a believer though, even if you're living for Christ, there are gonna be times when you are gonna be discouraged. It's gonna happen. There's gonna be persecution. There's gonna be misunderstanding. There's gonna be unjust treatment at times as you're living for Christ. We need to realize this And not so much for ourselves, but in the lives of others, they too are going to face times of discouragement, times of maybe wanting to quit. Now, listen, when I say quit, I'm talking about quit serving the Lord. I'm not talking about losing salvation. You can't lose salvation once you have it. If you think you have salvation, you can lose it. You don't have salvation because salvation, God only gives it one way and it's forever. But the word today is this, folks. We need to be givers of encouragement to others. I'm not going to have you turn there, but Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's pretty powerful when you think about what you have in your mouth. Okay, I'm not talking about food. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so let's go ahead and look at this passage today. We're going to break it down and just kind of take chunk by chunk. We're going to take the time to meditate on it. Somebody, I think it was a year or two ago, they had made a comment somewhere. I don't know if it was on YouTube or someplace, but they were saying that I'll take a passage like this and it takes me forever to get through it. It's like, well, what do you want me to do with it? (laughs) Do you want me to just read it and be done? Listen, the word of God is not food to be scarfed down. The word of God is like fine cheesecake. You just savor it, little taste, and you just savor it and you enjoy it. That's the way God wants us to see it, okay? So let's look at this. Verse 13, it says this. Paul says, now remember who he's writing to. He's writing to a young pastor who himself was probably discouraged. We believe Timothy was fearful. He knew the apostle Paul was probably going to go home to be with the Lord soon. And he was facing persecution, difficulty in his life. And so Paul says, listen, 
You need to keep going. If you feel like you don't want to stand up for what's right, God has not given you that spirit. He's given you the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And then remember what he said. He said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Boy, I hope Timothy wasn't ashamed of Paul. Paul led him to the Lord. Paul mentored him. Paul taught him what it meant to be a pastor and do ministry. And so he continues on here. So what do we see in verse 13? It says, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou has heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Number one, we need to hold fast the form of sound words. Now, what does that mean? That's not just words in the Bible. There's significance to this. Hold fast has the idea of of staying on track, okay, keeping it, staying faithful to it, being committed to it is the idea of holding fast. And then he says the form, hold fast the form of sound words. The word form means the pattern and the word sound. And by the way, this is something to always remember in scripture. Almost every time you see the word sound, it's not talking about what you're hearing. It's talking about the quality of something. And the word sound here means healthy. Now, we've used that, I think, a little bit more in the past. You know, athletes would talk about, you know, if they had an injured leg or something, and then they went and they went through and they got it maybe operated on, and then they went through therapy, and now they're, they're back to normal, and somebody would say, hey, how's your leg doing? Oh, it's sound. My leg is sound. That's the idea, healthy, okay? God says this, we need to Hold fast the pattern of words that produce spiritual health. Healthy means spiritually healthy. In other words, stay true and faithful to the words of Scripture. Why? Because the words of Scripture are the things that make people spiritually healthy. That's what we need to be spiritually healthy. A Christian who is spiritually sick is a Christian who's not either taking in the word of God or if they're taking it in, they're not applying it. Because when we take in the scriptures and we apply the scriptures, it will make us spiritually healthy. That's where we get spiritual health from. There's a life-giving power in this book. It's supernatural. And this is what a person needs. Now you notice he says, hold fast the form of sound words which thou has heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, fully believing it and giving it out motivated with the love of Christ. This is the, uh, another way of looking at the ministry of preaching and teaching the word of God. God wants us to hold fast the form of sound words, okay? The pattern of of the words of scripture that produce spiritual health. Stay faithful in giving it and give it out in faith, believing as you give it out that God is gonna use it and give it out in love with the love of Christ. Speak the truth in love and God will do a work. Lives will be changed. Not everybody's lives will be changed. See, it's an issue of we can do and we must do what we need to do as those who preach and teach scripture, but it's up to people to receive it and then apply it, fully believing it and giving it out, motivated with the love of Christ. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Now, what is the good thing committed to Timothy? Well, there's... Different people think different things on this. I think it's right, the answer's right in the context. I think the thing committed to Timothy was the faith. The faith, or the 
faith. Can I put it that way? Not faith, the faith. In other words, the body of truth we are to believe. The truth found in the word of God. Now, if you were to define what the faith is, people have all kinds of ideas. Well, what is the faith? And they'll say, well, there's five fundamentals of the faith. No, friend, the faith is anything the word of God says clearly. Where do we come up with five of them? (laughs) There's a lot more truth in scripture than just five that's clearly said. The faith is anything that God's word says clearly. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Is that not the faith? What is the faith? The word of God. Hold your place here and look with me over to Psalm 119. To me, it's it's just an exciting piece of scripture here. Psalm 119 and verse 160. Yes, you got it right. Psalm 119 verse 160. Don't you think it's amazing that the by far longest chapter in the Bible, as we would call it, chapter in the Bible, is Psalm 119, and it's by far the longest, and the subject of Psalm 119, it's a, basically it's a conversation between, or it's a prayer between the psalmist and the Lord about the Word of God. That's what it is. Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Everything the Bible says endures forever. And you notice it says, thy word is true from the beginning. You know what that means? It means from the beginning of his word, starting in Genesis 1.1. And for us, of course, the psalmist didn't have revelation, but all the way through Revelation, what is it, 2221? Is that the last verse? I'd say, don't you know that? Yes, I'm right. So there. <laughs> Revelation 2221. Here's the point, though, folks. This book, you can have total confidence in it, and I feel sorry today. Preachers and teachers, listen, there's a whole generation of people in seminaries and Bible colleges today that are being taught that what we have, you can't be sure this is the Word of God. Therefore, you need to learn how to determine on your own, as if most can, what is and what isn't the Scripture. Listen, this is the Scripture. Just believe it. Believe it with all your heart. Have full confidence in it. Believe what it says. Preach what it says. Teach what it says. You'll be a lot happier. You might say, well, how do I know with all the Bible translations out there, how do I know which is the word of God? Now, that's a good question, by the way. See, friends, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. Do we understand that? Every time a new Bible that comes out, they say, this is the most accurate, this is the best, and all of that. You know what that does? If that is true, it makes everything before it not true. And if that's the case, how do you know this new one that claims to be the best and the most accurate, how do you know that's not going to be replaced? Now, listen, thinking people think about stuff like that. And what does that do? It makes you doubt that this is the word of God. That's what it does. And if you doubt this is the word of God, you're not going to believe it. And if you don't believe it, you're not going to want to read it. And if you're not going to read it, you're not going to know what it says. And you're not going to want to obey it. And guess what? Satan's got you exactly where he wants you. Listen, 
In our church, we use the King James Version of the Bible. This has been tried and proved over 400 years. No Bible in the history of the church has been tried and proved and used for a longer period of time than the King James. And can I tell you this, friends? It is the most widely used Bible in the world still today. Did you know that? I know you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that by the way the marketing goes, but that is a fact. You can look it up. That's a fact. Now, we have confidence in it. You might say, well, some of the words I don't understand. That's easy. Just study. You can find out what they are. I, I gave you some, uh, some definitions already today of what words mean, right? We're well on our way. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. You know, we think we're intelligent people. When we read some secular magazine, we come over a word we don't know and we look it up. We think, well, I did my homework. I learned a new word today. And we come over one in the King James and we'd say, oh, brother, these old words. I'm just being honest with you as a pastor. I think the devil's got a hand in that. We ought to have no problem looking up words in our Bible. If it's the Minneapolis Tribune, I'm not going to waste my time. I thought you would appreciate that more than, than you did. But uh. <laughs> Anyway, thy word is true from the beginning, from the very beginning of it, Genesis 1.1. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. So what do we need to do? We need to hold fast the form of sound words, okay? The words that produce spiritual health. Secondly, what are we to do? We are to keep or guard the faith, we are to keep or guard the faith. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1.14. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Okay, that faith, the faith. We are to keep or guard the faith. What greater thing could a pastor keep or guard than the word of God? This is our responsibility. If the Bible contains all the truth man needs to fulfill the purpose for which God has created him, what could be more important than that commitment on behalf of a preacher or teacher of the scriptures? This is why we need to hold it fast and we need to stand for it. And when we preach and teach the scriptures themselves, what do we do? We preserve it in the ears of those that hear it. We keep it going. This is the scripture. People become familiar with it. The word of God gets put into them, okay? And the Holy Spirit can use the word of God. And in that life, the scriptures are being preserved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, in a sense, you can hear with your eyes as you read, okay, spiritually. But of course, we can also hear with our ears. And we need to do that. I want you to see another verse, very important. Jude chapter one, okay? Jude chapter one. Now, most of you know that Jude only has one chapter. If your Bible has more than one, you really need to get rid of that. Jude one, though in verse three, that's how it's usually referred to. Folks, there's a lot of things we can talk about, but one thing seldom talked about today is the spiritual war that is going on. We just want a kind of a Joel Osteen kind of Christianity, your best life now. We want to feel good. We want to feel warm and fuzzy. 
it's too much of that and not enough of the balance of it, understanding, yes, we need to, and I am going to be talking about encouragement in just a moment. We need to encourage one another, okay? We need to be a blessing to one another, but always understanding this. There's a reason for that because we're in a spiritual war and the soldiers need to be sharp and the soldiers need to be committed, And the word of God and the ways of God are being attacked. And in our country, like never before in the history of America, is the word of God and the ways of God under attack. It says in Jude, verse 3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should, look at this, earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly. Now, the word contend in the, uh, the Greek word for contend, within that word, we get our English word agonize, to agonize for it. The idea is to wrestle or to struggle for. Now, we are not only to wrestle for the faith and to struggle for the faith, we are to earnestly do that. It's kind of the idea, and it makes, you know, People use the term and it makes no sense. I I gave 110%. You can't give up more than 100%. But I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. You're giving it all, everything you've got. Guess what? We are to do that for the truth of God. We are to stand on scripture that way as Christians. We are not to be ashamed of what the Bible says. We are to take the offense, not the defense in that sense. When people have a question, yes, we should be able to give a defense or an answer for why we believe what we do, but it isn't because we're ashamed of it. It's because we want them to know that it's true. It's not a retreat posture. It's an advancement posture that the Christian is supposed to have. We are to earnestly contend for the faith, which, notice this, was once delivered unto the saints. God only has given it once. I had somebody ask me last week, is God still giving out basically truth, like through visions or prophecies, and people say, oh, I've got a prophetic word and all this kind of stuff. I'm sorry, you no. No, God is not adding on to the scriptures. It's been once for all delivered to the saints. It's amazing. Listen, this'll keep you, don't worry about new stuff. This'll keep you busy the rest of your life. And on into eternity, by the way, we are going to be learning the scriptures forever. Jesus is going to be teaching them to us. He's going to have Bible classes right out of Jerusalem during the kingdom age. Isaiah says that. Nations will come up to learn the word of God from him. I hope I can be there. Now, what is this? We are to keep or guard the faith. The most vital truth of all to protect is the gospel. The gospel, the way of salvation. We have these verses up on our platform here, and they're here for a reason, okay? I want you to look at them, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. See, because most people think some amount of good works is going to get you to heaven. They teach us, you some way have to live a godly life if you're going to make it to heaven. Oh, Jesus is important. What he did on the cross is important, but you also have to dot, 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 fill in the blank, all right? What that is saying is that Jesus did not fulfill all that was necessary when he died on the cross. Now that is a blatant, I don't care who it's coming from, that is a blatant frontal attack on Jesus Christ himself. It's calling him a liar. You may not mean it, 
You may not have thought about it, but that is what you're doing. Because when he died on the cross, he says, it is finished. It means paid in full. If you have to do something else to pay your way to heaven, to make your way to heaven, then Jesus did not fully pay it. He paid most of it, and then you have to do your part. That is a false gospel. And by the way, the payment always has to do with the way you live your life or good works. Yet what does the Bible say? Look at it clearly. For by grace are you saved through faith. Okay? Doesn't say anything about faith and works. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Just to make it clear. It is the gift of God. And to even make it clear, not of works lest any man should boast. Oh yeah, yeah, I believe that. But you know what? If you're saved, you're going to do this. Okay, friend. And if I don't do that, then am I lost? Well, yeah, then you're lost. Well, then you're telling me that doing or not doing something determines whether I'm saved or lost. Oh no, that's not what I'm saying. It is what you're saying. Why can't you let it be? Why can't you believe what the Bible says? Jesus died on the cross paid for our sins, he was buried and he rose again the third day and all we need do is put our faith in him that that payment was for us. We trust in him that he died for our sins and rose again, that he's the way to heaven and when you believe in him, you trust in him, he gives you everlasting life. He'll never lose you, he'll never cast you out. Oh, well, I believe it's by faith but I think you could lose it if you don't behave. Then it's not by faith, it's faith and works. That's a different gospel. That's a false gospel. We need to contend for the true gospel of grace. And we cannot, we cannot budge. Some people are deliberate false teachers and other people are teaching error and falsehood because they don't see how clear this issue is in scripture. Okay? Listen, people can be sincere but sincerely wrong. The Apostle Paul, he was very sincere in his opposition to Christianity, but he was sincerely wrong until he saw the light. And then he became a champion for the gospel. So we are to keep or guard to faith. The third, you notice in verse 14, it says, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. The Holy Spirit will provide all we need for us to run the race successfully. So a Christian who does not use their life for Jesus Christ, a Christian who does not live their life for Jesus Christ, is a Christian who is not accessing all that God has given us to where we can run the race successfully. A Christian who fails is a Christian who has decided to fail. They didn't have to. There's lots of people failing. They don't have to. I'm talking about Christians. Yeah, there's going to be little failures. I'm talking about a life that ends up wasted. That's what I'm getting at here. See, we can do what we do by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, it says that you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, okay? The Holy Spirit, when he came at Pentecost, and then everybody after that who put their faith in Christ received the Holy Spirit that moment and the Holy Spirit lives within us until the Lord takes us home. The Holy Spirit is there to empower us to where we can live the faithful life God has called us to live. And this is for every 
believer. Think about it. Think about it for just a second, okay? I want to encourage you this morning. When we trust in Jesus Christ the Savior, the Lord saves us. He gives us a new nature. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the direct power of God. And he also gives us the Bible. He gives us the power of the Word of God through the pages of Scripture. So we have all of this going for us. And here's what he's asking us to do. I want you to believe what I say, trust me, and obey. Do what I ask you to do. And folks, if we do, we will end up living a successful Christian life as believers. And that's God's will for every Christian. But yes, we still do have the ability to choose the direction of our lives. And God giving us that gift of choice. And it is a gift. He didn't make us robots either before or after you're saved. God giving us this gift of choice, and it is a gift. Unfortunately, many of us will make the wrong choice and we'll decide, well, you know what? I know I'm saved and I know I can't be lost, so it really doesn't matter what kind of life I live. I know I'm going to heaven when I die, and, and uh, so I'm just going to do what I want or I'm going to kind of live a good Christian life. But, you know, if I'm careless and I don't feel like doing what I'm supposed to do, then I'm not going to do it because, after all, I'm under grace, not under law. Yeah, but you know what you're doing? You're throwing away the rewards God wants you to have. You're throwing away the joy and the fulfillment that comes from living for Christ with our lives. Oh yes, there's challenges. Yes, there'll be persecution, but the joy far surpasses any of the trials and the difficulties that come with it. And that is not only for now, that's also for eternity. The rewards and the honor that are down the road for those who will live for Christ. Paul is challenging Timothy with these things. Now, what's interesting about it is he's given them all these truths here, and then he goes to number four. My point is this, everyone is an example of something. And he gives three examples here in the last few verses. Two of them are bad examples. One of them is a good example. Now, why would he do that? Well, it's to encourage us and to exhort us on this. Everyone is an example of something. So let's break this down. The first one is how not to be. How not to be. Here you go. He says, don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes. Okay, and now Hermogenes is not the father of pasteurized milk or something like that, okay? (laughs) Don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes. I like what one man said many years ago. There is no such thing as a wasted life. God can always use you as a bad example. Here's two. Phygelus and Hermogenes. You know what's interesting about these guys? They started out right. They were faithful. But what happened is they got intimidated by the Roman world and by persecution and by the words and influence of others. And when it came time to stand up with the Apostle Paul, they deserted him. They left him. 2 Timothy 1.15. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom, here's two examples, Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now this is a disheartening statement. These disciples of Christ, many of them, by the way, not just these two, many of them probably led to the Lord 
through Paul's ministry in Asia Minor, had quit supporting Paul, possibly because of persecution. Now again, this is a large area, Asia Minor. We would call it Turkey today. And that whole region above Israel, just above it and then also to the west, the area where the seven churches were, and a lot of the churches, Galatia, all that whole region. Do you remember what it said in chapter 1, verse 8? It said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner. These two guys, as well as many others, were ashamed of Paul. And in that, they were ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, the gospel. Why do I say that? Well, because that's what Paul was preaching. You can't really separate those two. If there's a godly life giving that truth out, he said this, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. In chapter 4, if you want to look there real quick, it says in 4.16, he says, at my first answer, at my first defense, the first time I came up here and stood at my first answer, no man stood with me. Can you imagine that? This man who led thousands to Christ, who started these churches, who had basically poured himself out, who took incredible ridicule and persecution from even believers, who said in in Corinthians, he says, though the more I love thee, the less I be loved. And here he is, and he said, when I stood to stand trial, there wasn't anybody around to encourage me, to support me. But all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. As I've mentioned recently, when you will not stand with those who stand for the truth, you discourage them. And I'm not just saying me, I'm talking about anybody in any ministry who's standing up for the truth, who's being strong on the truth of the gospel and the word of God and the purity of it and giving out the whole counsel of God. When Listen, nobody's perfect, but when you will not stand with those people, you are discouraging them because they're pouring their hearts out. They're pouring their lives out for the sake of the gospel. We need to stand together. And when you do stand with them, you will refresh them. But when you don't, what you do is you make them want to quit. Now, stop for a second, hear what I just said. You make them want to quit. I've known many a pastor over the years and talked to other pastors, and they said, I just want to quit. You know why they want to quit? Because people will not do what they're supposed to do. They will not stand with them, but they're fighting them. I'm talking about Christians fighting leadership that is trying to do the right thing thing. And what does that do? It's so discouraging that it makes them want to quit. And just in case any of you are wondering, pastor, have you ever wanted to quit? The answer to that is yes. I've had times, not many, but I've had times. But you know what? One of the things that keeps me going is those who will encourage, those who say, we've got your back. We're behind you. We're with you. We're praying for you. We believe like you do. Let's serve the Lord together. Let's strengthen our church. Let's make it a great church. These are the people. It's like, let's do this. Okay. Unbelievably important. 
This is not this preacher up here playing a violin. Oh, woe is me, you know. No, I'm just telling you the way it is, folks. I'm giving you an inside picture of what ministry is about. And if you're honest, if you're serving the Lord, you probably have had times like that too. You need a word of encouragement. So we know how not to be like a Phygelus or a Hermogenes. So then how should we be? How to be? Here you go. We need to be like Onesiphorus. Now, Onesiphorus is not an, a dinosaur. And I'm not talking about when it comes to technology or something like that. I'm, you understand what I'm saying. He's not right up there with T-Rex or the Brontosaurus or anything like that. Onesiphorus was a real believer in the time of the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 16. It says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft or oftentimes refreshed me. He refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. I was in jail. He knew it, but he wasn't ashamed. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. He came to Rome. Now understand, these are days of persecution. This is why people didn't want to associate because they didn't want to end up in jail. And they were afraid to take a stand for the truth. And so they forsook Paul. Yeah, I don't want people to know that I know him. That's the way they thought. Shame on them. But then there were the Onesiphoruses, if I could call them that. Like this guy. And when he got to Rome, he said, where's Paul? Where is he? He's in jail. I need to see him. Do you know what you're saying? You're going to go risk your, I need to see him. He needs encouragement. He needs to know there are others who love him. He sought me out very diligently and found me. Now it's interesting, the name Onesiphorus means one who bears profit. Isn't that amazing? One who bears profit. He lived up to his name. What did he do? Number two, he refreshed Paul, or he often refreshed Paul. He brought relief to Paul. He actually went out of his way to find Paul and be a blessing to him. He wasn't afraid to risk his life or reputation to fulfill his loyalty to the Lord and to the Lord's servants. How we need more of that kind today. By the way, these are the people who are driven by eternal values. Those values mean more to them than their very lives. And they don't care. So you're risking your life. You're risking your reputation. You may lose your job. Yeah, you know what? God's in control of my life. I trust him with those things. Doesn't mean we don't think about it. Doesn't mean we're not challenged. But that freedom of choice, we come down on the right side instead of the wrong side. We need to have a mind of helping those who are serving the Lord. We need to encourage them. You never know at what point in life they are. And when you do help them, you never know how much that's going to help. Listen, you talk to anybody who's gone to war. In any war, the morale of the troops is vital, and that includes the leadership in that battle. Now, let's bring it down home. When you come to church here, ask yourself, who can I be a blessing to today and an encouragement to today? This is a matter of just folks looking around. You might say, well, my friends are at church. That's great, but do you just have... Three, two, 
five? Or do you see everybody here as your friends? See what I'm saying? What about those single people? What about those seniors? What about those young people? What about the whole family? Who can I be a blessing to? See, we are living in the day of consumerism. People come to take. We need to be people who come to give. That's God's way. For God so loved that he gave. That's God's way. When we come with the mind to give to others instead of getting from others, church takes on a whole new meaning in our lives. And this is what ministry is. The word ministry means service. We are serving one another. It's exactly how it's supposed to be. Now, let me say this. We are honored and we are glad to provide live streaming over the internet ministry, through Facebook, through our website, through YouTube, and sermon audio. And, and we're, we're, we love to do that and we love to hear from people. So I want you to understand that. And it's all over the world. But believe me, believe me, nothing compares to being here in person. Nothing. There's an energy, there's an uplift that comes by being a part, by participating in person. And when people come in, and every face that I see come in the doors of the church, I'm encouraged, I'm encouraged, I'm encouraged by that. And this is the way we need to do. And this is the biblical way. It is by God's design that it is that way. Okay. Now, those of you may be watching, you might say, oh, I'd love to have that in our area, but we don't have a church in our area. Start a church. Start one. Oh, well, I don't have any formal training. Now, let me tell you something. There were no Bible college and seminaries in the days of the Apostle Paul. They were all local churches. Now, I know good Bible college, you can take courses online, and that is a blessing. But you know what? You can do something now. Start. Find a place to meet. Hey, what materials do I, listen, anything we have, you're welcome. All the, we've gone through so much scripture and so many studies here in our church. You're welcome to any of those things, okay? Go online, watch them, listen to them. If there's a certain thing that you want to teach, let me know. And if we've got notes, I can send those to you. Here's the point though, friends. We have ministry and it needs to be done. And so let's do it. And then you can have a church where you're at if you don't already have one. Sad to say, there are people we've led to Christ here in St. Cloud who don't come to our church. Some were members of our church and they don't come to our church. I don't get it. I don't get it. But that's the way it is. See, look with me to Hebrews chapter 10. That's why it says what it does here. And that's why our doors are open. And that's why we're going to keep our doors open, by the way. Hebrews 10 and verse 24, it says, let us consider one another. Do you see that? To provoke unto love and to good works. And notice verse 25 is linked to verse 24. God wants us to consider one another, not just through texts. It's more than that. It's in person, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's what a church is, by the way. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The local church should be a haven for those in the battle. It should be the base of operations for the body of Christ to get instructed, to be strengthened, to be trained, to be refreshed, to be rebuked 
when necessary, to be motivated, to be blessed. Nothing can do it like the local church. It's God's plan. It's God's design. That's why you need to be here. And the more you're here, the better it can be. When I say, well, I don't really want to come, but you know, once a week and all that, you're missing the picture. There are people who need you, who need me. That's how we need to see it. Well, all I do is come. Do you know how much of an encouragement it is, even that, that people come? It's the truth. Let's move on. Number three, Onesiphorus was not ashamed to be associated with Paul, and this is in contrast to Phygelus and Hermogenes. He didn't care what the world thought. He was willing to stick his neck out to put his reputation on the line. Oh, you go to that church? Yes. Oh, that guy's your pastor? Yes. Oh, you're involved in that church? Yes. You give money to that church? Yes. Yeah. I believe in it. I believe in the message we have. Why? Because if it's true to the word of God, we ought to believe in it. We ought to support it. Okay? So, well, most people don't think that way. Yeah, and guess what? Following the crowd never gets you anywhere, but in the wrong place. Majority opinion is almost always wrong. Almost always. Think about the way to heaven. (laughs) How many have it right? A small percentage? Verse 18, the Lord grant unto him, Onesiphorus, that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Paul says, Onesiphorus was a breath of fresh air to my life. He was a source of encouragement. I needed that. Now, here in verse 18, what day is it talking about? I think the day is talking about the judgment seat of Christ, a day of accountability. How we live as believers will be examined at the judgment seat of Christ, and then we will be rewarded accordingly. I do think the judgment seat of Christ will be a very uncomfortable place for a lot of Christians because they will have wasted their lives and not lived them for Christ. Oh, remember, it takes place in heaven. They're in heaven. But to know the displeasure of God, that he gave us all these tools, as I mentioned earlier, And to not use them to live for him, to waste that life, little or no reward for that believer. And that's going to be a sad time. The Bible talks about being ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. More about that in three weeks. In Romans 14, it says, verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother, and why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's talking to Christians, okay? Lost will not be at the judgment seat of Christ. They'll be at the great white throne. Now, let me say this as we wrap up today. If you happen to be here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, the Bible calls you lost. Not only that, it says you are condemned already. You don't have to die to know you're condemned. You are condemned already if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ the Savior. This is you and me, and my wallet represents their sin. We're all sinners. You can't go to heaven with even one sin. It separates us from God. To get there, you have to be perfect. None of us are. 
And God says we've sinned and our sin, if we die with it, we'll spend forever separated from God in hell. No amount of good works will take it away because we couldn't save ourselves. That is why God sent his son. We talked a lot about that on Christmas Eve. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. And when Jesus came, he went to the cross. He took our sin upon himself. He paid for it so we don't have to. He did it, paid it all past, present, future sin, was buried, rose from the grave, and he simply says this, if you will believe that he did that for you, the moment you trust in him, that payment's good on your behalf. You have everlasting life, you go to heaven. Whenever you die, you receive everlasting life the moment you believe. But when you die, you go to heaven. He'll never lose you, never cast you out. Once you have it, you have it forever. It can never change. Now that's good news. And I urge you to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.